Hey everyone, welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your hosts, Miss Kevin and Edie, your friendly neighborhood queers. Today, oh, I'm so excited! Just Hello, cozy. Just get your butt right in that seat. Well, he was one of the Doctor Who's from the '60s. Tom Baker <laughs> is 89. <laughs> we are. We're really getting. Good. Look, it's Happy getting. Birthday. It's getting dire. Exterminate. Uh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. You Thank got you. it. You the got only it. Reference I know. Yeah, we're getting down to the dregs of the not dregs, but like the not bottom dregs, of the, it's just How dare even, you? Because actress and sister of Warren Beatty, Shirley MacLaine, is eighty-nine. Okay. That's a fucking okay, legend. Okay, Shirley. No, she is. Oh my god, Weeza. Another Shirley, Shirley Jones, matriarch of the Partridge family. Correct. Yes. Well, eighty-nine. That's, there she is. Okay. Happy, happy day. And uh, fashion. Turn to the left because Giorgio Armani is 89. Oh, okay. I see. Well, sure. and he looks beautiful like the Crypt Keeper. He looks Ooh. 123. So I'm good for almost him. scared to look. <gasps> oh, no. No. oh, my God. That's tan. Yeah, that's bad. That's not oh. That's hide. That is. It already looks like he's been made into a book. He's been leatherized. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, moisturize me. Another Doctor Who reference, but this one's from like 2005 when David Tennant was the doctor. David Tennant. Yeah. Well, I, I, welcome everybody to episode 89. And also, especially thank you to. Can I just. I'm going to stop the yes, episode for a second. Record Producer. scratch. Er? All right. I just want to give a thank you to people out there in the netherworlds. That uh-huh. have watched some of our new reels on Instagram lately. We went mini viral last Baby. Week. Boy, baby. did you watch it, listeners. We went we baby are... viral. At the time of recording, yeah. like 11,000 people. Oh, 11.2 thousand. 11.2. Every Those time we look, it's higher. Mm-hmm. And Kevin works hard in the meme factory, just like <laughs> crafting and forging those memes. <laughs> Kevin oh. is producer extraordinaire of creepy inquiries. He is, as Edie said, social media maven of creepy inquiries. He's social the lifeblood. He's the lifeblood of our show. And you're you're the social media mavis beacon teaches typing. I guess so. <laughs> Fine. But yeah, it's been or, really fun and interesting. And and anyway, just thank you for everyone that are probably 
lifetime listeners that we've had for 89 episodes thus far. And some of you that are just tuning in for the first time. Hey, also stick with us for these more recent episodes. We got much better. (laughs) We did. Um, if you, if you are new, thank you for being here and we love you and we appreciate you just, um, as Edie joined us permanently around episode 25, 30 Um, or 25. Yep. 30 or 25, somewhere in there. And then, um, we, you know, it's we had a learning curve when we first started. We've always doing been this. excellent, and there are no we flaws. Have. We no. have, we <laughs> have. Oh man! Well, before we get to these stories, the two of which that I will be sitting back to listen to because I'm the audience today. That's right. How was your weekend? You are also giving amazing. Uh, um, what's her name from? Scooby-Doo. Daphne. You're giving full Daphne, Daphne, Daphne. vibes right now. I, I was normally thinking, Velma. Yes. Daphne with the hair, Velma with the glasses. Yeah. Uh, I normally Daphne get Velma. The, the green. The, Daphne the did have green. a green, like a purple and green. And you got like purple sheets yes. in the background. I do. That's my bed unmade. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you very much. My weekend has been great. Relaxing. I, let's see, what are we doing? I started rewatching Scream. All of them Ooh, again. Cool. I love so that for you. I, I'm just like I decided I wanted to do a 31 for 31 in Halloween 31. Beautiful, like horror movies. But mm-hmm. yes. I know myself, and to thine own self be true. Know thine enemy. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to try to do 31 horror movies still, but I'm going to try and do September and October. Spread them out. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just going through that list and then I was just like, but I want to watch Scream now. <laughs> so work, 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 work. It's my life. It's my rules. So I'm going to put it in there. So it's going to be like two months in a week, 31 for 31. <laughs> Amazing. And I'm glad. Are you going to watch all six? <laughs> yeah. Cause I haven't seen the new one yet. Ooh, so it's, it's pretty good. Is it? And they just greenlit the seventh one. And for the what? first time, in the franchise's history, there's going to be a gay director for it. <gasps> oh, Not I that love it hasn't that. always been a I mean, queer franchise. I was just, number one, I just like every time I watched the first one, I was just like, I'm just like, this is camp. This, this is, is horror. This camp. is camp. Mama. I love it. I love what's his name? Skeet Ulrich. Skeet Ulrich and no. Matthew Lillard. The yes, only thing Matt- that I remember Matthew about the first screen here, film man. is how like murder gays they <laughs> yes. are. No, they are. And I wish if it wasn't 1996, if it was closer to now, that would have been a love story. And it should have been a love story. But we could only <laughs> handle so much in 96. You could have only, yeah. Some subtext is there. Oh, it is. Matthew Lillard dying. Just, I'm dying here, man. Just like, get killed. Like, it just, I love it's it. The best. It fucking gets me. So that's lovely. I was also, I started a new cross stitch pattern this weekend. I messed it up so bad I had to start again. But (laughs) who's learning? It has sounds like a Hillary Duff song. Yeah. So it's been a really nice, boring, relaxing weekend. Beautiful. Edie, what are you doing over there, down there, in there? I have so much to tell you. The first thing is that I've said it before and I'll say it again. Nick Cave is on the soundtrack to Scream 1. Oh yes, my he God, is. Classic I know. Red Right Integral Hand. Integral right part hands. of this franchise, yes. And in other news. In mm-hmm. other news. Mr. Fake Name and I had Kevin and Big Library over for dinner yesterday. And it was lovely. Oh, nice. And we had clam chowder and salad. Really? 
and bread and cheese oh. and meats. Estelle had an amazing time yeah. because she was getting attention all day. So whatever to that, because what I really need to talk to you about is vindication. <laughs> oh. Listener, you might remember that around this time last year, Kevin and Big Library went to Atlantic City. Yes, we and did. And I gave them an assignment. My assignment was to find Diamond Jim. <gasps> Diamond Jim, listener, if you'll recall, That's is right. the anthropomorphized mascot that I experienced in the uh, kitty area of the Tropicana Casino in uh, Atlantic City when I was five years old. And my grandmother ditched me to play blackjack for hours. I was left in an area with lights and sounds and a small Ferris wheel and a no. giant Mickey Mouse style diamond no. named Diamond oh Jim. Oh my God, yes. Okay. So Diamond Jim was your baby. And I came home that night to my mother, who was very angry about what had happened that day. Uh, <laughs> and all I had to say in a small, tiny five-year-old voice was, Diamond Jim doesn't frighten me. <laughs> That's what I love about you. Your you sad mother. Well, <laughs> you sad stories. Your mother probably had questions. I'm gonna guess. She did. She did, and she didn't really get answers. My grandmother was not a forthcoming person. But <laughs> I had been. I have spent the last thirty years uh-huh. looking for concrete evidence of Diamond Jim. I found one article, one mention of Diamond Jim. In an article about New Jersey oddities, <laughs> but I couldn't really find much else. And no, then yesterday, didn't. Kevin and Big <laughs> Library come with a bag. Inside of that bag are two items. The first <laughs> is a silly green tie with a bunch of casino items on it. But I mm-hmm. notice on the tie a lanky figure. <laughs> with big hands and big feet. A tie and the head of a diamond. Yes, and I indeed. scream in my kitchen, that's the man. <laughs> okay, out of context. That's the man sounds, that doesn't frighten me. <laughs> out of context, what you say to your mother and this scream in the kitchen, it sounds very dark. It's it truly truly that's the man i immediately start sweating my heart is palpitating and then i open i have the second item that i'm wearing Uh now which is a Mm -hmm. (laughs) t-shirt yes that they found on ebay Mm -hmm. it says trop world meaning tropicana world's lucky diamond dollar jackpot games now this figure is not referred to as diamond jim no but he has a uh a cane with a diamond tip Uh, in one hand uh money and a wad of money in the other hand and the head of a diamond the nose of a smaller diamond and like some kind of and a suit on dicky yeah he's like wearing a dicky now they don't refer to him here as diamond jim they don't but i've seen that man i know that man Yes. He, he haunts yeah. my dreams for three decades. Yet. And he does not frighten me. Uh, it was incredible. It was incredible. It's like Gene's I'm not afraid of snakes song. I'm not afraid of snakes. I'm not afraid of. I'm so glad. 
I'm so happy that we finally a got you yes. to I, get to give you those gifts. Yes, but I'm I heard that about you're still not frightened by them. I heard I'm about going the to see Mama Fake Name tonight. We'll wear this T-shirt and we'll see what, if anything, she has to say about the return of Diamond Jim into our lives. <laughs> Amazing, the cryptid be- of my life. <laughs> yes, he is the crypt. He is Edie's personal, personal cryptid. cryptid. Kev, besides yeah. going over to Uncle Edie's house, what did you yeah. do this weekend? Ooh, I've been painting more. I've been yes. We, we went out to a local Friday night. We went out with some uh, a friend to a local dance spot for a kind of queer dance night, and it was Barbie themed. And the location, the establishment is called Auto Bar, O-T-T-O. So the oh, dance love, party yeah. was called Auto Barbie. And it was great. <laughs> that sounds cute. Yeah. And that's like a small spot. So like it doesn't seem like it would be crazy. It wasn't. It was, it was popping. It was lovely. They decorated by just a bunch of Mylar balloons of ponies and little horses all over for the patriarchy. Oh, okay. Yep. For the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And they that. had themed drinks and all that fun stuff. It was great. It was lovely. Cute little Barbie party. It was lovely. So I had a good time with that. That was Friday. And like I said, we had um, a wonderful evening on Saturday night at Edie and Mr. Fake Names. And beyond that, I've just been chilling. I've been it's having been a good vibing. time. Yeah, just vibing. And you're going to keep chilling and having a good time today because you I don't am. have to tell any stories. Yeah. You just have to hear them. <laughs> oh, I just but have to boom. listen to it. And I'm ready to do so. And I've got one. Today, I'm back on some of my favorite bullshit. Oh, yeah. Old-timey grifters. Yes! Fuck yes. Love it. This time, we're talking about a hell of a guy Mm. with a hell of a name. Mm. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. On Christmas Eve, 1786, in Scotland, accent alert, Gregor McGregor was born. (gasps) Gregor McGregor. Gregor McGregor. Okay, so Miss knows the story. I know. I don't know it by just the name alone. Grifter Extraordinaire. Grifter Extraordinaire. Hmm. The griftiest of grifters. Yes. Gregor's father was Daniel McGregor, a sea captain with the worst corporation in history, future subject of the pod, the East India Company. Boo. Change the world. We don't know much about Gregor's childhood. His dad died when he was eight, and he joined the British Army as soon as he could at age 16. Yay. Middle age. His family was able to buy him a rank as ensign, Mm -hmm. probably for around 450 pounds. Because during this time, you could buy a rank in the military, a commission, uh, as well as earn it over time. Mm -hmm. If you're a poor. Yeah, if you're a poor, you have to like spend time in there but Mm -hmm. if you're a rich you can just Mm -hmm. deal with it this was a good time ish to join the or it's a busy time to join the british army because the napoleonic wars are happening oh okay and gregor did pretty well in the military uh he was promoted to lieutenant in about a year without having to buy the rank he was introduced to a girl named maria who was the daughter of an admiral who had a lot of money and influence which is very sexy to gregor a little they got married in 1805, and then Gregor suddenly had the cash to buy the rank of captain for 900 pounds, which would have wow. taken him seven years if he didn't buy it. That's oh a shit goodness. ton of money back then. Oh, yeah. So he served for another few years. 
He was also seconded to a battalion in the Portuguese army where he got another cool rank of major. Uh, He retired in 1810 at 23. He was kind of forced to retire because he got into some kind of disagreement with a superior officer about some stupid bullshit that got so out of hands that they were like, Gregor, you've got to get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Do we know what it was about or was it just stupid? No, it's just all I know is that it was something trivial. Okay. 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 Can I just say I'm excited because I realized I have forgotten so many details about this story. It's great. It's T to B. It's great. Yeah. There's some bummers in the end, but it's fine. Sure. Sure. But his battalion in the British army, the 57th foot, would the year after he left do some super boss shit that would earn the battalion a lot of prestige and a very cool nickname called the diehards. And since then, Gregor would make a lot of noise about he was how, how he was a member of that battalion of diehards, even though he left fully a year before any of that cool shit happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very Gregor will learn. Mm -hmm. Once he got back to Britain, he tried to gain some social status in Edinburgh, but it wasn't really happening. So he moved to London and called himself Sir Gregor McGregor because he had gotten himself a badge somehow of a Portuguese knightly order. I don't know. He found it on the grounds. I don't know. Oh, so not even like a like an English knight knight situation. Just a made up one from the ground garbage. Mm-hmm. But it was, cool. you know, hey, uh, this is a, I'm a Sir Gregor McGregor of a Portuguese knightly order from when I served there. And he, oh and he kept he hinting never, wait, that he wait, had, He never actually did, though, right? Or he served he? in Portugal, but he's, oh, I don't think oh. he's a knight in Portugal. Okay, okay. He also hinted that he had a bunch of family ties to dukes and barons and earls and shit. All that bullshit that wasn't true, but Londoners were kind of eating it up. Yeah. But in 1811, Maria died. Oh, Gregor was so sad, not just because he like lost Maria because whatever, but he lost his main source of income. And now he He didn't have the social support of Maria's big time family. Bummer. Tragedy. That is a tragedy. He couldn't get remarried right away because his old in-laws would be really pissed and would want nothing to do with him. And he didn't want to burn that bridge. He couldn't go back to Scotland because it was too boring. And he couldn't go back to the military because they all hate him there. Right. Oh, what's a Gregor to do? What's a Gregor to do? Well, around this time, various areas of Latin America that Spain had colonized were starting to revolt. In Venezuela, for example, a bunch of Spanish provinces declared themselves an independent republic just like Mm -hmm. six months before Maria died. Mm, Okay. Around that time, when Maria was still alive, General Francisco de Miranda, a Venezuelan revolutionary was received in London society after that revolt to very great praise indeed. So Gregor certainly knew about that buzz around this guy, and he might have even met him at one of the events celebrating Miranda. Mm. So Gregor got an idea. He's just going to go to Venezuela, hmm. fight for independence or whatever, but get famous. Yeah. Clout chase. Yeah. Just like He's- Clout chasing is right. Yeah. The last thing I would ever do for fame was to join a war. Just be it's, like, he loves murder. It. Yeah. He yeah. does this over and over, and we'll hear all about it. <laughs> Good. Sounds so, fun. 
Gregor arrives in Caracas, the Venezuelan capital, like two weeks after a huge earthquake that destroyed a whole lot. Cool. Mm. Though Gregor had been telling people back in London that he was also a Spanish baronet to try and get some (laughs) clout, he realized like, okay, now I'm in Venezuela. They're super anti-Spanish. I'm going to drop that fake title, but I'm going to keep calling myself Sir Gregor because I'm still claiming to be a knight of the Portuguese order of Christ. Portuguese. So Gregor goes right to General Miranda in Caracas and he's offering his services. And Miranda's looking at this Sir Gregor. I mean, he's <laughs> a former British Army officer. He's from the famous Die Hard Battalion. Mm-hmm. John McClane. He served yeah. with John McClane yeah. at Nakatomi <laughs> Plaza. Nakatomi, yes. Nakatomi, Nakatomi, Nakatomi. So Miranda's like, he's got to be the real deal, kind of, at least. So Miranda gives him a command right. of a cavalry battalion and, okay. boom, a new rank, colonel. Gregor does kind of okay <laughs> as a revolutionary. Okay. He's way more into having titles and wearing fancy outfits than actually doing fighting. I mean, same. Me. I mean, yeah. whomst among us. Yeah. But still, Republican leaders were pretty happy with the optics that Gregor was giving their cause. So we're here in 1812. Maria's dead less than a year. And Gregor needs more clout. I mean, he needs love in his life or whatever. Mm-mm. So in June 1812, he marries Doña Josefa Antonio Andrea Aristegueta y Lovera. She was the daughter of a prominent Caracas family and a cousin of another big name Venezuelan revolutionary, Simón Bolivar. Uh-huh. And it worked out. By the end of that month, Miranda promoted Gregor to brigadier general. That's how it's done. What's a brigadier? So like good for Gregor, but the revolutionary cause was not doing so great. In July, royalists took a key port from Simon Bolivar and the Republic ultimately surrendered. Mm. There was kind of a flurry of activity after that. Miranda got captured and imprisoned by the Spanish. The rest of the Republican leadership, Bolivar, Gregor, Josefa, they fled to the Dutch colonized island of Curacao, mm-hmm. of like the liquor, blue Curacao, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, aboard a British right. ship. Gregor got bored on Curacao right away, so he went just a little bit west to New Granada to offer his services to the Republican armies there for a while. Meanwhile, like a freelance military. He's just for yes. He is just like, hey, I've been in military. You, you want some? You want this? Meanwhile, Bolivar recaptured Caracas, but then Caracas was retaken by the Spanish in 1814. So Gregor went back to another Venezuelan city, Cartagena, which was still in revolutionary hands. He held off the Spanish as long as they could before they escaped on gunboats in December 1815. So it was a retreat, but all the gunboats escaped to Jamaica, so it all went well, like way better than it could have. So he okay. still kind of got some... Got some flowers for that. Oh, okay. In Jamaica, he's hailed as a hero. He's thrilled. He kicks around there for a few years. He embellishes his war stories at dinner parties. In 1816, Bolivar is back. He's raising another army. He's bringing Gregor back as brigadier general. And that year, he led a really dangerous retreat that kept revolutionaries alive that Bolivar was super happy with. So again, he's doing running away, but he's keeping people alive. 
And that also okay. got Gregor another title that he started calling himself. Oh, what? Okay. Oh. oh that, okay. Okay. Gotta catch Xenophon them all. of the Americas. What even that is that? Wait, what? You know. What is it? Xenophon? Yeah, it starts with an X. Where's Sigourney? Come on now. What is that? Yeah, it's not Xenomorph, but it's a... There was a guy named Xenophon of Athens, a Greek military leader and philosopher and historian. So I guess he's saying, I'm that Xenophon of the Americas. So he legitimately <laughs> just made this up. Like other titles he, he made up that he had, but this is a made up title. Oh, yeah. And like, okay. cool, 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 cool. Strap in, get used to it, baby. Cool, 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 cool. So Gregor gets another idea. If he captures one of these ports in East or West Florida mm-hmm. on the mainland of North America, those were also Spanish colonies. It could help Republican operations in other Latin American locales and, more importantly, get Gregor more fame and money and titles and cool shit. Okay. All right. So he sails to the U.S., raises money and volunteers. He recruits a few hundred men. And uh, raises 160 grand by selling scripts to investors. He promised so them land money. in Florida, or he'd give them their money back with interest. Super real. Sounds like Florida deserves this, man. <laughs> it's very Florida. Mm-hmm. It's very. Gregor sets his sights on Amelia Island, uh, which has it's off the coast of Florida, and it's got a pretty small Spanish garrison holding it. And Gregor's okay. expecting kind of little to no resistance. He'd been failing upward for a while now. So mm-hmm. he's just like, fuck Why it. I'm going to take this ship of 80 men. And he lands on Amelia Island in June 1817. And he has some stirring words. He loves to like oh. pop a sound bite. And he goes, he I shall out. sleep either in hell or Amelia tonight. Very brave heart <laughs> moment. Very, very William Wallace. He knows how to make a moment. He's all flash. Uh He's very, he's very chumpy in that way. Like he, he's got (laughs) messaging. He's got messaging on lock. So the Spanish commanders had like 50 men and some cannons, but they'd also overestimated how many dudes that Gregor would arrive with. And I think Mm. they figured that Gregor was going to come and then also backup was going to come and they got freaked mm-hmm. out. So they surrendered without anyone firing a shot. Nice. Classic Gregor. Oh, that's lucky for him. That is a classic. Also, Gregor McGregor. Class- also classic. classic Gregor McGregor is the fact that he arrived on Amelia Island with his own flag that he designed himself with a green cross on a oh. white field. I totally would the same. Our flag means death. <laughs> yeah, he he did his own flag. He called it the Green Cross of Florida, and he <laughs> would stick with this design for quite some time. Green Cross of Florida. He announced a Republic of the Floridas and a government that would be run by oh, Ugh, could you this? imagine Gregor McGregor? Wow, congratulations, Whoa, Gregor! Greg, it's a big get. Amelia was a pirate island, which is very cool. Less cool was Gregor's decision to tax pirates loot at what he called an admiralty court. So they were like, wait, this sucks, actually. Wait, he was trying to tax pirates. Yeah, of course. Of course he was. Pirates who take by plunder and stealing. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. 
Um, he also decided to seize and sell dozens of enslaved people on the islands mm. to make mm. a quick buck. Not mm. cool. Class fucking act, buddy. He also sent 18 dudes on a reconnaissance mission to St. Augustine, Florida in late July 1817, but mm-hmm. all of them were either killed, wounded, or captured by the Spanish. Great work, Gregor! Yeah. It's our leader. But Gregor had an idea to keep morale up. Oh. He had a printer make up, you know, some currency. Amelia dollars. Okay. And he paid his troops <laughs> in Amelia dollars. No. What? What is Amelia dollars by? Bullshit. And the, well, eventually he stopped printing Amelia dollars and just stopped paying his troops altogether. But like, it's very like, here's my Amelia well, he dollars. Here's the- my <laughs> Doge coin. It's on the Ethereum blockchain. You can't exchange it for anything. But here you are. I, I do. I can do nothing with this. Well, just as Gregor's fucking stopping paying everybody all together, Spanish forces start to gather on the mainland just opposite Amelia Island. Bad news! So. Yeah. (laughs) Gregor and most of his officers made the call in September 1817 that this Amelia thing was pretty much fucked and they should just give up. So, Gregor makes this big announcement to his men that he was fucking off, and the reason that he gave was that he had been deceived by my friends what friends you know whatever you don't know them they live in canada he turned over (laughs) command to one of his officers and he boarded a ship with josefa while a furious crowd just like hurls insults at him well good at least somebody knew somebody was paying attention Well, he arrived at nassau in the bahamas a couple of weeks later and gregor got to work on important business Okay. He had commemorative medallions made with the green cross motif and the Latin inscription, Amelia Veni Vidi Vici. Sorry. Please welcome to the stage. The island that he abandoned his men on? He came. He saw. He conquered. He left. (laughs) And then started making commemorative medals? Yes. This guy, the... The just the confidence of a mediocre white man has never been more clear than right yeah. here. It's a Trump coin, baby. Fucking is. <laughs> oh, P.S. He didn't make any attempts to pay back any of the investors of the Amelia expedition because fuck those guys. Of course. Sure. Why not? Or or his own men. Instead, he decided to make commemorative. Well, they got metal. Amelia dollars, miss. So. No, it's nothing. For a while, at least, they got Amelia dollars. That's not a thing. In November 1817, Gregor McGregor's wife gave birth to the couple's first child, a son named, any guesses? Gregor? Sir Gregor McGregor? Close. Gregorio. No. <laughs> no, I was joking. I was joking when I, I said object. Gregor. <laughs> Gregorio McGregor. He's not Italian. Gregorio. But his his wife is South American, so oh, you know, there you go. Well, because Gregorio is very, you know, it's a me, Gregorio. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess. 
Gregor and his family go back to London in 1818 after Gregor heard that British forces were getting involved again in Republican efforts in Latin America. Mm -hmm. But this time, British forces were themselves joining up, not just like Gregor on his own. So Gregor got a loan of a thousand pounds to hire and transport British troops for service in Venezuela. So he took that money and he spent it all on whatever he wanted within a couple of weeks and then it was gone. Uh, okay. But he got alternate funds from a financier friend who said he'd take on Gregor's debt if Gregor took those troops to New Grenada instead of Venezuela. So Gregor's like, sure, whatever. I don't care. I'm just here for money. He got troops for the expedition by promising them cash on arrival, and he sold ranks uh, in the military at way cheaper prices than the British Army would charge directly. And so he took a group of 50 officers and 500 troops to Grenada at the end of 1818 with pretty much no weapons or ammunition. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Also cool is that the troops almost (laughs) mutinied when none of them were paid the 80 silver dollars that Gregor promised he'd give them on arrival. He narrowly secured weapons and ammo from some merchants in Haiti, but he almost boxed the job so hard that the troops were close to mutiny again. But Gregor got morale up by announcing that the group would attack Portobello on the new Grenadian mainland the very next day. Bloodlust! Oh, God. Okay. So Gregor watches from a ship offshore as one of his officers, (laughs) William Rafter, took 200 men to march on Portobello on April 9th, 1819. Isn't he the commander? Yeah, from the ship. No, but that's like the part you got to... Command, but if you're not there, how are you commanding? Well, I don't know why you're saying that he's not commanding this because when Gregor got wins that Rafter was winning, he disembarked just in time for the fight to be over and then gave a proclamation. (laughs) (laughs) Soldiers, our first conquest has been glorious. It has opened the road to future and additional fame. What? Fuck you. I would be, if I saw that asshole just strolling up at the end of the battle, I would punch him square in the mouth. Just like. He's the best. Dude is the fucking best. (laughs) do anything. While Rafter wanted to march on Panama City and like keep this momentum going, Gregor was not super interested in continuing the campaign because he was doing more important work. He was working out the particulars of the design for an order of knights that he was cooking up that would, of course... (laughs) have the green cross design that he is so into now is that just gregor the flag of mcgregor or is that still for amelia it's it's that that green cross that he had in amelia which is now Uh like fuck amelia that's gone but right so it's not actually he's still very into that and so he develops the order of the green cross he's just like i imagine him drawing these these uh plans up like you're in the back of the class in the 90s drawing that cool s yeah the box x (laughs) yes yes that's right exactly that's what he's doing all day and he doesn't give a fuck about anything else straight a's while doing it well so since gregor was doing the important work perfecting the design for his fake order of the green cross he wasn't doing too much in like having his way his troops patrol the port so just a couple weeks later the spanish march directly into portobello gregor was in bed asleep 
when the Spaniards opened fire on riflemen who were doing drills in the main square. Of course. Oh, shit. Gregor, of course, sprung into action. Yeah. To save himself and no one else. He tossed his bed and blankets out the window. He jumped out onto them. And then he tried to paddle out onto his ships on a log. But he didn't get a lot of exercise because he's too busy drawing the cool S. And he passed out on the way and he would have drowned <laughs> if one of his naval officers hadn't found him and brought him aboard one of the ships, very aptly named the Hero. Amazing. Again. How have any of these men resisted punching him in the throat? I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand. Either. I don't get it. Meanwhile, okay. Rafter, the guy who's been doing all the work, is holed up in a fort with 200 men trying to keep the Spaniards at bay as best he can. And he's waiting on Gregor to fire on the Spanish from the ships. He sees uh -huh. Gregor go to the ships. He's like, well, that's got to be what he's doing. Yeah, right. But instead, Gregor ordered the fleet to sail off to the relative safety of the high seas. Rafter was abandoned, so he had no choice but Are to you, surrender. Wait. He left him there? Oh, yeah. God, I don't remember any of this. This is bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Rafter surrenders. Most of the surviving officers and troops were imprisoned. Rafter himself and 11 other officers got shot to death because they tried to make plans to escape. So all in all, another flawless victory for military genius Gregor McGregor. <laughs> I have no notes. I don't know about you guys. Oh, I'm, I, I, I am notless. You're right. Listen, I'm not in the military or nothing, but that doesn't sound right. Well, the hits keep coming because Gregor gave the officers on his ships with him that retreated with him a bunch of made-up titles from the Order of the Green Cross. Uh, <laughs> he also had a falling out with his naval commander, but that commander fell ill, so Gregor put him ashore off the ship. He took control of the hero, which mm. was the ship that that commander owned, and he renamed it, any guesses? Amelia Bedelia. L. McGregor. <laughs> Miss has the most furious face. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like not even mad. I'm like just disappointed. Like this is. We're not even. You, this is. We're so not stupid. even close to how pissed we're going to be with Gregor. All right. I'll like it. I'm already up to here. <laughs> I'm up to my eyeballs in Gregor's I mean, bullshit, and there's so much more. I do know how it ends. I just completely forgot everything in between. Like that so he had I'm been mad. every moment. I, I was like trying to cut out some stuff. I'm like, but every moment of his life is a grift, and it all has to. All of it is. It's all of it. He's fucking around his whole life. So Gregor takes El McGregor from Haiti to OK. <laughs> Spelled A-U-X-C-A-Y-E-S. I'm sorry, is that a rapper? It should be. Okay. But it's a it's a place that's okay. Near Haiti. I am not sure. I believe that okay. it is a, a a spot under British rule. Got it. So he goes to OK, immediately ran the ship aground and had this had to pretty <laughs> much sell it for parts. 
But in OK were 500 officers and enlisted men ready to serve him, courtesy of recruiters in Britain. Gregor keeps winning. He manages to scrounge together a few hundred more dudes and ships from some Irish recruiter who Gregor, of course, gave the rank of general and a knighthood in the super real order of the Green Cross. Of course. I mean, to be fair, it's as real as any of the other ones. I it's mean, kind people, of, yeah. And it's like a million dollars are as real as any it. other money. Yeah, it's just less people accept what it is, but it's Except. not any more or less real. Now you're thinking like Gregor. <laughs> oh, I don't like that compliment. <laughs> so Gregor announces that he's going to liberate New Grenada. You're not. But he hesitated and stopped feeding and paying for the troops and most said fuck it and went home. By the time he did actually move on New Grenada in the fall of 1819, he had gone from 900 dudes to 250 dudes. Of course. But no matter, he's undeterred. I mean, 250 sounds high. (laughs) He orders a nighttime attack of the town of Rio de la Hacha. And he said that he'd take personal command of the operation just the second the troops landed on shore. Shut up. So the men stormed the beach. They waited for hours for Gregor to join them. But Gregor wouldn't leave the ships and refused to believe that his troops had won because he had been content this whole time to send them all off to die and spin it as heroic later. He'd done it before. Finally, the guy leading the ground operation rode to the ships to tell Gregor to come into port. And so at that time, Gregor would take kind of day trips on shore before retreating right on back to the ships Mm -hmm. while his soldiers were so pissed off that they were like swearing and spitting at him. (laughs) But Gregor was undeterred. He made another proclamation to his men. And right at the end of it, he gave himself another title. Oh. His Majesty the Inca of New Grenada. What the fuck is that? I'll see you later. It's whatever what is, you want it to be. His Majesty Kev. of what? Inca is aren't the Inca? They're a people. That's not a title. Well, his Majesty the Inca of New Grenada. He is the Inca. What's an Inca? Whatever he wants it to be. It's Gregor. Yeah. Again, back to my last comment. I guess it stands. Then he went back to the ships and pretty much abandoned his leadership in all but name. Hmm. One officer, who I believe is actually the brother of William Rafter, who got (gasps) shot, wrote, General McGregor displayed so palpable a want of the requisite qualities which should distinguish the commander of such an expedition that universal astonishment prevailed amongst his followers at the reputation he had for some time maintained. In other words, this guy sucks so bad, none of us could believe that he had gotten to be general in the first fucking place. There it is. There it is. Yeah, okay, well, at least people are catching on. I know that doesn't... Well, once again, Spanish forces gather around the spot that Gregor and his troops had narrowly taken... Gregor's officers rightly figured that the situation was pretty hopeless. They captured a Spanish schooner and took five officers and 27 soldiers to escape. Gregor convened his remaining officers the next day, gave them promotions and knighthoods with the Order of the Green Cross, and told them to help him lead the defense. He said he would be right back. He just had to send one of his general's wife and kids onto a ship to safety, but then he would be back and ready to fight pinky swear Uh 
Okay. So Gregor went to port. He put that general's wife and kids onto a ship. Then he boarded a different ship and ordered the entire fleet out to sea just as the Spanish attacked. All the officers and troops left behind were killed. This isn't even, like, funny. Like, this is, like, murder. Like, murder by abandonment. He's got, like, hundreds of hundreds of bodies on this his hands like now. It's, like, the third time he's abandoned a fleet of, like, m- men to die. Hey, 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 this is Gregor McGregor we're talking about here. Exactly. He keeps winning, Kev. It's too much Breaker winning. chains, mother of dragons. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> so Gregor lands back at OK to try and spin the situation in his favor like he's used to doing, but he found out that news of what really happened had reached the powers mm. that be before he landed in October like 1819. <laughs> he also learned that Josefa and Gregorio were evicted from the home that he'd set up for them in Jamaica, and Gregor was wanted in Jamaica for piracy, so he couldn't go there to join them. And he couldn't piracy. go back to Simone Bolivar's service either, because Bolivar heard all about how Gregor left all his troops to die and was so enraged that he said Gregor was a traitor and that he would be hanged if he ever went back to the mainland of South America ever again. He is a traitor. That is so. fair. Fair. So I guess uh, the landlord just didn't accept Amelia dollars. No, they didn't. They didn't take Amelia dollars. Yeah, that's horrible of them. But necessity is the mother of invention, that's and right. it's through this necessity and desperation that Gregor embarked on his biggest grift yet. Okay. Though we don't know how he got there, by April 1820. Gregor managed to get in front of King George Frederick Augustus of the Mosquito Coast on the Gulf of Honduras. Now, King George Frederick Augustus was a chieftain of the indigenous Mosquito people Mm. who British authorities in the region had crowned as a king in name only just to obstruct Spanish claims to the area. Okay. So they, they kind of sought out, British people sought out these kind of indigenous chieftains, said, here, have an English name, and a title of king, and then we can say to the Spanish, hey, no, you don't have claim to this land. There's already a king here. It's a shame. It's kind of fucked up. But, you know, what? what isn't yeah. that the British do? Very. Nothing. Yeah. So that month, George Frederick Augustus signed a document granting Gregor and his heirs 8 million acres of land. That's 12,500 square miles or 32,375 square kilometers. It's an area wow. larger than Wales. Wow. Oh. For, for In what? exchange for rum and jewelry. So Gregor oh. went back to the oldest trick in the colonizer book, swindling an, an indigenous leader. Now, the land was pretty, but it wasn't arable and couldn't really sustain livestock, so it was kind of worthless for development purposes. But Gregor started calling this area Hoye and went back to London in 1821, calling himself the Kazik of Poye. What? You know, this guy, this is Tom I'm now officially tired of him. I'm tired. Like I, it's 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 fuckery. It's tomfoolery. It's bananas. It's how, how are Gregor is a teacher so- and a mentor. He is not a good <laughs> Christian woman. She is not. She is not. She's a liar. So and a murderer is a uh-huh. Spanish American word for native chief, and Gregor used it to mean 
prince. He told people that George Frederick Augustus gave him that title, but really Gregor made up both the title and the country. Of course. So even though the year before in 1820, one of his old officers, Rafter, the brother of the dead guy, wrote a scathing biography of what a shithead Gregor was, In 1821, London society didn't know much about Gregor's recent fuck-ups. So when he came back, they remembered only his successes. Hey, this guy's part of the diehards. Didn't he lead that really cool retreat? And moreover, in Latin America at the time, things were constantly shifting. Governments rose and fell all the time, and countries were named and renamed all the time. So it wasn't so implausible that there was a country called Poyer and Gregor was its leader. Okay. So Gregor and his wife, Josefa, who he managed to get back to Britain, were the talk of society. Meanwhile, Josefa had given birth to a girl, Josefa Anna Gregoria. Mm Mm-hmm. They went to all kinds of social invitations and parties, including an official reception at Guildhall with the Lord Mayor of London. Big shit. Yeah. And at these social gatherings with London's high society, Gregor told people he came to London to attend the coronation of King George IV on the behalf of the people of Poyer, and also to seek investment in immigrants to his country that is very real. He told his marks that he inherited a democratic system of government there with the basics of a civil service and military already in place. And to those people who were interested, he showed a proclamation that he had printed up and says that he issued to the people of Poyer. You know, I've I've got this, this, and this thing. I've appointed the governor of San Andres, Brigadier lie. General George Woodbine, to act as my vice cazique during my absence. Vice so don't worry, cazique. people of Poyer who are real and I really gave this thing to. And he ends it with, I now bid you farewell for a while in the full confidence that the measures I have adopted for your security, defense, government, and future prosperity will be fully realized. And I trust that through the kindness of almighty providence, I shall be again enabled to return amongst you and that then it will be my pleasing duty to hail you as affectionate friends and yours to receive me as your faithful cazique and father. Father? Oh, yeah. So he Uh. prints this whole thing up. He's got a bunch of fake names in it. None of it was real, but Gregor was on a roll. Remember that his greatest joys in his military career had come from superficial bullshit, medals and outfits and designing a special flag and coats of arms. So he made up the particulars of a tricameral parliament. That's a parliament with three tiers. Constitutional details, trade mechanisms, banking mechanisms. And of course, he designed the uniforms for each regiment of the Poyasian army. Okay, this man just wanted to be a fashion designer. He really needed to just be a Giorgio Armani who is 89 today. Not today, but well, today he's 89. Well, today he's but yesterday he was also 89. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, none of that, he's presenting that as things that have already occurred. Yes. And mm-hmm. are already in place. Yeah, he's like, we got and, ourselves a plug and play country. Okay, and none of that is plug and play. And none of that is correct. Okay. No. Okay. No, it's okay. just it's just land that's nothing. By the end of 1821, Gregor reeled in a whale to support his made-up country. This guy, Major William John Richardson, gave Gregor his estate 
at Oak Hall in Britain to be the British base for the Poyasian royal family, meaning Gregor, his wife, and his kids. The Poyasian In exchange, Gregor gave Richardson the Order family. of the Green Cross, a position in the Poyasian region, Royal Regiment of Horse Guards, and made him the top representative of Poyay in Britain. And so Richardson's like, yeah, all that's worth my fucking house. Richardson even presented his letter of credence from Gregor I, sovereign prince of the state of Poyet, to King George IV of England. Mm-hmm. Before long, okay. Gregor's got offices in London, Edinburgh, and Glasgow to sell very nice-looking land certificates to the general public and to coordinate prospective immigrants. So here's the drift. It's, this is my fake country. It's huge uh-huh. and beautiful and already being developed. You can buy lands there and move there for a price. And okay. Britain in the 1820s was the perfect time and place for this grift. The British economy was doing really well, and a lot of people were already taking on risky foreign debt in Latin American securities. So Gregor's okay. fake country really fit into it. And Gregor sold Poyer really aggressively. He was giving newspaper interviews. He took out advertisements. He commissioned songs about Poyer to be sung on the streets of the cities that he had offices in. That's commitment. Imagine if he put in this effort to like an actual thing. And like the amount of effort he is putting into this grift he could just have like he's a rich guy so he could just have like a nice job it's very george costanza like george puts so much effort into not working that he might as well just have a fucking job just be working in 1822 a 355 page guidebook started circulating that was supposedly intended for settlers to use called sketch of the mosquito shore including the territory of poyer and the author of this guidebook was said to be a Thomas Strangeways, the aide-de-camp to the cazique of Poyer. But there ain't no Thomas Strangeways. No. Gregor fucking wrote that thing. Well, he lifted material from other writings about the Mosquito Coast and elsewhere in the region. And what he wrote himself was bullshit. He wrote that, that the shocking. soil was so good that you could reap three maize harvests a year grow tobacco and sugar, no problem. There was so much fish and game that you could just spend one day hunting, feed your family for a week. The native peoples of Poyer weren't just not hostile, but they were super duper pro-British. And wait till you hear about the capital. (laughs) Yeah. Capital of St. Joseph, a seaside city of 20,000 souls with paved roads and buildings and mansions, a cathedral and opera house. Wow. A bank, houses of parliament, royal palace. The rivers in Poyer were said to be full of globules of pure gold. I hate the word globules. Me too. I know. I had to put it in. I was like, globules, disgusting. Sounds so he sold land certificates starting at two shillings and three pence per acre, which was fairly affordable, about a working man's daily wage. So it was an attractive investment. And then demand increased by the end of 1822 the price was raised to four shillings an acre gregor estimated that he sold poyasian land to around 500 people by early 1823 and many buyers invested their life savings and he got a 200,000 pound government loan uh, for poyay on the london stock exchange that allowed him to sell poyasian bonds and he could sell them and make a fuck ton of money Hmm. And that could have been enough 
but not for Gregor. But because the bonds were the things that were going to make the most money, he needed to he needed to grift to support that grift. So he needed settlers to his bullshit country, which I have to remind you, listener, is not a country and is not really habitable. Right. No. He needed real settlers so that he could convince the people buying bonds that the country was real and being developed. So if he could say, you know, I've got people going to this country, they'll buy the bonds there, he thinks. And we know that Gregor's not afraid to send people to their deaths. He's done it over and over again. And this is where it kind of becomes a bigger bummer. Gregor convinced hundreds of people, mostly Scots, to emigrate to Poyer, enough to fill like seven ships. He sent the first ship off in 1822, and he provided the group with 5,000 Bank of Poyer dollars, which they, of course, had to exchange their gold for the Poyasian currency, which they were more than happy to do. The ship set sail flying the green cross flag of Poyer. I hate it. I hate it so much. A second ship left in early 1823, another 200 immigrants on board. The South American bond market collapsed at the end of 1822. And so instead of buying a bunch of South American securities, people in Britain were selling them off like crazy. Mm. And what was worse, most of the people who did buy the Poyasian bonds didn't make their first payments on the bonds. You give like an upfront money and then you pay the remainder and they just didn't. Uh, okay. And the Poyasian bonds never recovered. By the end of 1823, they were traded for less than 10% of their face value. Meanwhile, settlers are arriving well, in Poyer. No sign of the capital city of St. Joseph. The country didn't look anything like the guidebook describes. The settlers, though, they set up camp on the shore. They brought a bunch of food and stuff. And a lot of the people there were professional people, like doctors and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they just set up, like, assuming that the Poyasian officials would contact them soon. And nobody came. Oh, I know. And a lot of people refused to believe that Gregor duped them. And the people that did realize that it was Kinda a grift didn't want to cause panic. And finally, people went to King yeah. George Frederick Augustus on the Mosquito Coast. But that dude had no idea they were even there. So they were stranded. And then the rainy season God. came. And yellow fever and malaria <gasps> descended on the settlers. Oof. They were yeah, finally discovered in May 1823 it. by chance when some guy, the British chief magistrate of Belize, Marshal Bennett, went to the court of the Mosquito King. By this time, seven men and three kids had died. Tons of people were sick. Bennett tells these people, yo, Poyer is not real. I have not heard of this cazique. You should come with me to British Honduras. You will die if you stay where you are. Yeah. Most people stayed to <gasps> no. wait to, for somebody to come back, maybe with news of passage back to Britain. Uh, oh. But instead, they found no. um, the Mosquito King came back and said, like, yo, this is this sucks. And I gave McGregor lands, but I'm revoking that land grant. I never gave him the title of Kazique, and I never right. gave him the right to sell land or raise loans against the land. And you are actually on my territory illegally now, and now you have to leave. Why would a king give a kingdom to a different person? Yeah. And he's like, you have to leave unless you pledge allegiance to me. And everybody left except for 40 who right. were too sick to make the journey, so they probably just died. <laughs> 
So all the immigrants reach Belize in British Honduras. They are so weak they have to be carried. The weather was terrible and the doctors couldn't really do much to help. Disease spread rapidly and most of them died. This is murder. The colony superintendent opened an investigation. Yes. Gregor's just sending these people to a place that he knows is bullshit. And it's like, oh, whatever. They'll die. I need to make money. And then. uh, Yeah. There were, you know, more ships were coming. He had five more immigrant ships on the way. By the time the warning of what happened reached London in Britain, where the ships were going, the ships were already on their way. But they were intercepted no. by the Royal Navy. The surviving colonists kind of settled in the U.S. Oh, or stayed okay. in British Honduras or uh, sailed for home on a British vessel. Some died on the journey back. So of the 250 people who sailed on the first two ships, mm-hmm. 180 died and less than 50 ever returned to Britain. That's wow. fucking atrocious. Yeah. Gregor leaves London right before the uh, remaining Poyer survivors came home. They came home in October 1823. And he tells Richardson, his vice cazique or whatever, his his uh, top envoy, mm-hmm. that he's taking Josefa to winter in Italy for her health. But he went to Paris instead. London Press reports Tons about this scandal over the following weeks and months. There is a Guardian article from 1823, 25th October 1823. Settlers duped into believing in lands flowing with milk and honey. And it starts with, Some months ago, Sir Gregor McGregor, a person of whom we do not choose to say all that we think, induced a number of persons, chiefly Scotch, to emigrate to a settlement which he gave them to understand was formed and in a flourishing condition on the Mosquito Coast near Honduras. So they're so... People in England are so upset. Yeah. But Gregor's in France now. France's problem now. It's France's problem now. And he asserts he was himself defrauded. And he says Mm -hmm. that he was embezzled by some of his agents who probably don't exist. And Mm -hmm. that the people in British Honduras were jealous. And they are just undermining the development of Poyer because it was threatening their profits. He's just that she's so jealous. So she's making up lies about me. Jealous. Meanwhile, Richardson is trying to console these survivors that came back. He denied the press claims that the country was fake. And he said he issued libel writs against some of the British newspapers on Gregor's behalf. You're lying about my best friends, the Kazikh of Poyer. This is Vice Kazikh doing this? Yeah, Richardson, the guy who uh, gave Gregor his house. So he's kind of living in sunk cost fallacy land. Well, I guess if it's all fake, then he's somehow responsible, and um, that's probably a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. In Paris, Gregor's seeking investors and settlers for Poyer in France. For the same place? Yup. And he also 
asks King Ferdinand VII of Spain in November 1823 that he uh, proposed to make Poyer a Spanish protectorate. And what he offered fuck? to lead a Spanish campaign to reconquer Guatemala using Poyer as a base. So this guy who had done his whole military career was based on anti-Spanish Republican fighting. Yep. Right. Now it's like, hey... Spain, I can help you recover Guatemala and use my fake country as a base. Then the next year, Spain doesn't Spain doesn't do anything with that. And the next year in December 1824, he writes a letter right to the king of Spain and he claims himself to be the descendant of the ancient kings of Scotland. I mean, is he just like got a book of grist? Be like, okay, if that doesn't work, do this. If this doesn't work, do that. He's he's so confident. Confident. And he ends up selling a French company up to 500,000 acres in Poyer for its own settlement scheme, which is kind of a, a way for him to distance himself. Right. So then he could say, look. Other people are responsible. I just made the land available to right. other people. And what they did to that, what they did with that, I, I, don't, I don't know. And does he know that his land grant has been revoked? I don't know. I mean, not and that if I he think does, it he matter. does not care. Yeah, no, I know. I was just curious. He is still trying to sell bonds. They probably didn't exist. Of course not. Uh, he gives up. Oh, he does. There are some people in this French company that he sells land to. That company readies a ship and begins to gather French immigrants. 30 obtain passports to travel to Poyer. (laughs) McGregor's publishing a new Poyasian constitution in Paris in August 1825. This time he describes it as a republic. He was still head of state with the title of Kazik, but he's not a a prince anymore. And he got another... $300,000 $300,000 loan from London Bank. London? To issue bond, to issue more Poyasian bonds, but I don't think any of them were ever issued. Wait, all of the news that broke, okay, it's, it's whatever year it is, the 1810s, 20s. Yes. So it doesn't reach France, it doesn't reach Spain, it do, whatever. But you're saying in the country that it exploded in, in a bank in London, that all of this news was available, they're just like, Here's th- here's here's this. Yes, there's still it's still kind of happening. But God French damn. government officials become suspicious when another 30 people are requesting passports to travel to this country that they'd they never didn't. heard of. And uh, they ordered that company, the ship to be kept in port. And some of the would-be Poyasian immigrants became concerned themselves and they complained to the police and a couple of Gregor's accomplices were arrested in Paris in September 1825. Colonists, the would-be Gregor colonists, kind of dispersed. Gregor goes into hiding in the French provinces. McGregor was arrested after three months and brought in in December 1825. He was telling his accomplices, or his marks, mm-hmm. his closest marks, that the charges against them have to be kind of some change of policy by France or some some Spanish like, attempts yeah. to undermine Poyasian independence. He does eventually go to trial oh. in April 1826. 
prosecution alleges this conspiracy between Gregor and other associates to profit from this fraudulent land concession and loan mm-hmm. prospects. Okay. And Gregor's lawyer says, well, if anything untoward happens, somebody else is responsible and there's no proof of a conspiracy. And you know what? Gregor was defrauded. He's actually a victim. Lawyers. Yep. I mean, it's what else? What other defense are you going to give? Mm-hmm. Well, the prosecutor conceded that there wasn't enough evidence to prove his case. He compliments fair. Gregor for cooperating with the investigation and withdrew the charges against him. This is like when the judge uh, compliments Ted Bundy on his legal work. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. But days later, the French authorities found another, the fourth accomplice who had been tried in absentia the first time. There wasn't enough. That's why there wasn't enough evidence. They found Mm -hmm. this guy. And then the rest of them learned that they had to stand for trial again. So, okay. The second trial was postponed for a little bit, and Gregor and his lawyer got to prepare a very elaborate, very fake 5,000-word statement that describes his background, his activities in the Americas, and his absolute innocence about any – he never wanted to defraud anybody. He's just a little baby. He would never – The Kazikh was found not guilty on all charges. Fuck off, man. He's literally untouchable. He's untouchable. He moves back to London with his family. No, the balls. People don't care in London anymore. I guess. And it's, he's still, and he's still kind of on his Poirier bullshit. Insane. He was arrested after his arrival back in Britain. He was held for about a week and then he was released without charge then he started again a new kind of more simple version of the Poyer scheme, describing himself just as the Kazik of the Republic of Poyer. I mean, listen, he was not guilty on all counts, so he didn't do anything wrong. He was not guilty. Yeah. Josefa died in 1838. Gregor immediately went back to Venezuela, where he resettled in Caracas. He was confirmed as a Venezuelan citizen and a divisional general in the the Venezuelan army with a pension of one third of his salary. All I do is win. He settled in the capital, became a respected member of the local community. He died at his home in Caracas in December 1845. He was buried with full military honors. (laughs) With the president, Carlos Sublet, cabinet ministers and military chiefs marching behind his Jesus. Oh my God. I remember so little of that. I guess it's been a really long time. I knew he was a grifter and I knew, I knew about the original people, the Poye people who the immigrants who had died, but I don't remember the rest of it. And that's fucking incredible. He got away with all of it. And I wanted to do this story now. Because never subject of the pod, 45th president of the United States, Donald John Trump, has been indicted a bunch. And people are making a whole lot of hay of it. And it is very fun that he looks so silly in his mugshot. But my worry slash expectation is that just like Gregor, Trump's going to get away with 
All of it. All of it. I agree. Because both of these men are lifelong grifters mm-hmm. and they keep doing the same thing over and over again and they keep getting away with it. And humanity does not change. We are no. the same people. No, we we're the, the same. same we're the fucking with the same, same. With the same intelligence and the same consciousness that we've had for tens of thousands of years. So like we are the same. We don't learn. Nope. Nope. And that's Gregor McGregor. Mm. Well, he was an asshole and fuck him. He was a real fucking asshole. Jesus. He killed so many So many people. people. So did Trump. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. I'm not. I'm just saying. Just, just yeah. like. Yeah. He killed a lot of people. Like directly. Like there's no question. <laughs> like, no, I know. I'm just. It sucks. It sucks. Just it saying. sucks that it's the same kind of grift. It's the same shit. Yeah. yeah. Except Trump really yeah. became the real president of the real United States. Of a real God, country. That's the gag. That, that is, is gag. doesn't that just Gregor gag could you? never. Gregor could never. Miss, you have a spoopy story for us, right? Yeah, God, yeah, I do. And take us it's fun? Good. Take us to the fun yeah. zone. Kevin, I'm kind of getting in your lane a little bit, Uh-oh. but I had to. I had to. Today I'm going super super local for me uh-huh this week i went down a local rabbit hole concerning cryptids and the paranormal and we which is what i wrote in my notes <laughs> pennsylvania is weird as hell we got bigfoots we got aliens we got every kind of paranormal experience you could think of any of it all of it i was actually planning on doing a different story but i realized it was much bigger and while it's not a true crime i might ask my co-hosts in the future if i could have the floor for the long story for this for this other story but we'll 100% yes blanket permission <laughs> While researching that, I came across this story, and today I would like to introduce you to the Alba Twitch. Anyone? I have never heard of her. No, Alba Twitch? Okay. It's one of those ones where I looked at our episodes three different times because I just swore we had done it before, but we didn't. And you guys not knowing makes me feel so much better. So the Alba Twitch is described as a little Bigfoot. Not to be confused with an actual juvenile Bigfoot because, quote, the Alba Twitch. Yeah. The Alba Twitch have more of a neck and have a skinnier, more human like proportion, end quote. They are usually described as three to five feet tall and covered in hair, sometimes sparse, sometimes completely covered. And they smell fucking awful, just like their cousin, the Bigfoot, Mm. uh, like musk and rotting flesh. So their home base is Chickie's Rock County Park in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and it is a heavily wooded area along the Susquehanna River. They live in the trees. They are tree dwellers, and their favorite foods are fruits, but apples specifically. There are two main theories on how they came to be named the Alba Twitch. It's from the Pennsylvania Dutch. Y'all who don't know... Pennsylvania Dutch is not Dutch. It is German, and it's Dutch is a bastardization of Deutsch, which is Deutsch. That's which right. I learned Pennsylvania Dutch is not just another name for the Amish, which is what I've always thought. I did too. Yeah, the Amish are a religious group, strictly religious group. And the Pennsylvania Dutch are a cultural group with varying religious beliefs and lifestyle. Really what links the... Uh, 
uh, Pennsylvania Dutch is the language is they speak the Pennsylvania Dutch language, which is uh. English and German and a little bit of other influences in there. Mm-hmm. But some Amish identify as Pennsylvania Dutch as well. So there's a definitely a Venn diagram. Anyway, the name Albatwitch is thought to be a Pennsylvania Dutch and English combination, meaning apple snitch. Snitch in this context meaning thief. So the Albatwitch is an apple thief, which is cute because that's their favorite it fruit. Is cute. Oh, they that's just really cute. want those apples, little but, guys. <laughs> according to Bigfoot hunters and Albatwitch experts the more likely meaning comes from german language specifically as the majority of european colonizers in the area were from germany alb alb is the german word for elf or spirit combined with entwischen the german word for escape so escaping elf which is when i go into the sightings of the albatwitch is going to make more sense Something interesting about the Albatwitch legend is that it actually goes back about 500 years, starting with the Susquehannock or Conestoga tribe. Those two names are used interchangeably. I don't know if one is preferred. But the indigenous refer to the Albatwitch as little people, and a bunch of white podcasters have adopted that name, little people, some going farther and calling them dwarves. No. I don't mm. like the way that feels, so Not I'm calling no, so I'm calling it the Albatwitch. The Susquehannock, they used to have an image of the Albatwitch on their war shields because they were thought of as like fierce, mysterious beasts. So Yeah, absolutely. You know, like a school, like a school mascot situation. Yeah, yes, exactly that kind of way. Wildcats. It can be considered a cousin of the Puckwudgie. Which is from... We know about the Pukwudgie. Yep. We have talked about him before. Pukwudgie means wild man who vanishes in Wampanoag folklore. I really thought we had a specific episode on the Pukwudgie, but I couldn't find it. I was safe again. The most well-known version of the legend of the Albatwitch is at Chickie's Rock. And that is from the early to mid 1800s and residents of the area. So this is, there is, uh, the river separates Lancaster and York counties. At this time, we're our, we are on the Lancaster side. And so at that time, residents would hike and picnic at an overlook overlooking the Susquehanna River, which is beautiful and i want to actually hike it in the fall when like the leaves are changing because like i watched a few youtube videos that were walking through the area and it was fall and it was so pretty and i can't wait oh cute it was so popular that they had even had concession stands and a trolley that took you up that for all the non-hikers up to the overlook when there many people reported seeing a strange monkey-like creature preceded by a horrible stench The creature would steal picnickers' apples and then throw the cores at them from the trees, which I love that about them. Sometimes they just stole stole the apple and threw the whole thing at them, which is not great, but at least they weren't throwing rocks like Bigfoots are known to do. It's very like concert summer 2023. Just throw things. Yes. Yes, at the performers. Like chaos rain. Yeah. With the apples, that's how the Pennsylvania Dutch apple snitch kind of name origin comes from. 
It's said that the Albatwitch were killed off by industrialization by the 18, late 1800s when a massive ironworks operation moved into that exact area. When you watch videos or you walk through, you can see the ruins of the ironworks as you go through the trail. However, that is not true. They are still around. Who wants to hear some sightings? Tell me about the sightings. I want some sightings. <laughs> okay. On a cold February morning in 2002, Rick Fisher was driving on Route 23, a rural road near Chickie's Rock in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, when he saw a person walking in the middle of the road. And as he got closer, he believed the person was a child based on its size and that he was dressed in all black. However, when he slowed, he later wrote, quote, a stick-thin figure about five feet tall, covered in hair, was standing in front of him. It was early enough to still be dark, so Rick put on his high beams to see better, and when he did, he saw a creature about five feet tall, very skinny, he guessed about 80 pounds, with glowing yellow eyes staring directly back at him. He says the creature didn't seem to care that his car was driving right at him, and then as he approached, it vanished into thin air. Ooh. And that still that still could match the description of a surly goth tween. Absolutely. All Maybe black, not the vanishing part, they wish. Harry doesn't give a shit. Well, maybe he practices magic with a CK. You know, you don't know about yeah. these goth tweens. I don't know. You're right. Um, now, in 2008, a woman... Uh, now, this is a little farther away, this sighting. This is in York County, uh, neighboring to Lancaster. In 2008, a woman was driving home after shopping around 7 p.m. She said it was a clear day and that there was nothing obstructing her view when she noticed something running across a field near a home construction site. At first, she thought it was a large dog, but then she realized it was standing upright like a human. Uh -oh. she, pull uh -huh. she pulled over on the side of the road to observe the creature for a few minutes, and she later reported that the hairy being would run, stop, look around, and then continue running kind of like a dog yeah i mean wasn't maybe a dog <laughs> it's a little bit it sounds a little like zoomies but like who am i eventually she says it reached the edge of a small wooded area and disappeared the woman described the creature as around four feet tall with muscular arms and legs and sparsely covered in dark gray hair it wasn't wearing any clothing she couldn't identify any gender, and she said its head was smaller than that of a human child that you would expect who was the same height. Okay. I love the idea that she's looking at this little creature being like, she can't tell the gender, so she's just looking at the crotch of this creature, yeah. trying to That's discern whatever she can discern. Yeah. And keep your eyes on the important things, lady. That's right. Mm-hmm. What you got there? PP or VV? We don't know. Now, this last one, I, I don't have a date, but 
One afternoon, three Amish men were working in a field when a, when a strange man began approaching them from a neighboring farm. The man was odd looking and he was jumping up and down while screaming, which I'm out. Like, I don't know what you're doing or what you're on or what you're about, but I'm not about it. The men were alarmed. And then they noticed that this quote, this man looked more animal than human. It had dark, coarse hair on his face, arms, and legs, and was only wearing a pair of tattered boxers, which, like, I'm backing up even farther. I mean, yeah, like, well, I mean, you're wearing, you're wearing boxers. I'd rather so, you be like, naked. rude to be like, this is not a man. This is an animal. Like, well, they said I features. Know. You might just I look don't a little know. bit weird. I don't know. Listen, they're Amish. Who are they to say what's That's weird? true. Ezekiel, I saw the craziest thing. Jebediah. Don't say it. As he got closer, the Amish men realized it wasn't just screaming, but it appeared to be speaking a language they had never heard. Frightened, the men ran towards the house and the hairy creature gave chase. One man ran into a dairy barn while the other two ran into the house. Meanwhile, (laughs) an elderly Amish woman was in a garden when she heard yelling. And so she goes to investigate. When she does, she saw the hairy man running in her direction. But when it saw her, it suddenly stopped running, sat down in the grass quietly, and started (laughs) staring at the sky. Okay. Yeah, this Uh is very strange. This is just... This this is somebody who's having a crisis. Sure, sure. It's an albatwitch, though, in crisis. This is an albatwitch that's having a crisis. Mm -hmm. After a while, the men came back outside and saw the creature just sitting, looking at the sky and mumbling. Um, And a few minutes later, the four Amish people watched as the being stood up and started walking towards the dairy barn, but it vanished into thin air before it reached the barn. And that is the story and the sightings of the Abitwitch. Well, well, well. Thank you. What a little weirdo. What yeah. a very yeah. little weirdo. Short and sweet. I was just like, it's local. It's in the county next to me. I want, I have to do it, even though it's it's a cryptid and that's Kevin World. But. Oh, please. I, I don't lay claim to them. <laughs> no, I know. I just know how. Kevin much is the Kazik of cryptids. We do know he that. Is. We've seen the documents. <laughs> He's absolutely the Kazik of cryptids. Oh, now, man. Kevin, what did you think of our stories today? Oh, man. What did I think of your stories? There's He hated them. There's no running from grifting. One Jesus. that will always be here. Yeah. Stories like that just cement that notion in my mind for sure. Yeah. And then I'm I, so what you're basically saying miss is that there's a, a miniature yeah. Sasquatch with boxers on running around your <laughs> okay. backyard. Yeah. Yeah, that's just what I got the from river. that. Yeah, across the river, there's uh, an, a, a, a hairy, uh, herstute man in tattered, I will say was the right. detail, tattered boxers. Which means which is he's heterosexual, yes. Just, yes, they are 17-year boxers. Disintegrating. Just like running around and screaming. Just <laughs> scaring Amish people, except that one Amish woman who just had the energy she didn't say anything. She barely looked at him. Just her energy alone just that's, brought him to his knees. <laughs> that's amazing. I want to meet that woman. Let's that's a Nana. stories about her. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, wonderful stories this week, y'all. Thank you. Yeah. And and I know I enjoyed them. Miss, where can our listeners, new and old, find us to contact us to to laud us and give us our mm-hmm. praises? <laughs> oh, please do. If you happen to have your own story of the Abba Twitch, you could hit us up on Instagram at Creepy Increase Pod. You could also send us a cute note over email, uh, creepyincreasepod at gmail.com. If you want to know any of our sources, go to creepyinquiriespod.com. Then if you have a minute and you liked our show, please, if you, if you don't mind, go over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to us now and give us a cute little rate and review. We really appreciate it, but it also really helps us out. Mm-hmm. Five stars or I won't give you a knighthood of the order of the green cross that I have ready in my pocket, ready to go to the mail. And it's very real, but you won't get it unless you give us very valuable. And if you do, you very much will pinky swear. That's right. Dangle that carrot, Edie. That's right. That's right. Listener, thank you so much for joining us on this episode 89, the Jane Goodall aged episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Those little chimpies, she would like it. And Alba Twitch. Yeah, she could. That's right. But until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.